0: Darren, thank you so much for your time, mate. Really, really appreciate it. I know you're an incredibly busy man, so we'll try not to keep you for too I long. I wouldn't go that far, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Always room for more work, right? <laughs> yeah. Always room for more. And yeah. um, I wanted to start with you, basically, almost at one of the most recent points, because it feels like that, that semi-final window around the Champions League <laughs> was basically, like, as a commentator, a dream 48 hours. Yeah. Like, one of those things that really... I know everyone says, like, oh, you couldn't have written it, and, like, football does sort of turn up these crazy results but that was a particularly bizarre window of football wasn't it considering that Man City had won on the Monday night and then you go into Liverpool and then Spurs. Did Man City play that Monday night? Man City. Company had scored. Did they? I don't think anybody knows. No one that. even. Um, yeah. No one. Nobody realised that. BT
1: Sport were rolling the roost that week. <laughs> yeah. Forget Vincent Company. That day. <laughs> Do you know? I actually think I should have retired on the Thursday morning because well, it's never going to get. How any are you going to top that? I, I don't know. I don't think we will, will we? I mean, I don't think in our lifetime we've ever experienced it. We've experienced one-offs. I mean, in, in my in my lifetime of watching football, and I think about Michael Thomas' winner at Anfield. And I think about Aguero winning the, 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 the league title for Manchester City. Solskjaer in Barcelona. But they're all isolated incidents. To so get it back to back in two games like that. And I remember we, um, we'd done both first legs too. So we were really kind of down on Tottenham. The role that Ajax were on. Thought it was going to be really hard for them there. It was bizarre though, because we, t- we went to Anfield on the Tuesday. And we, um, we commentate in front of the same people. So we see the same people every time we're there. So you kind of develop a bit of a relationship where you say, how are you doing? Do you need a team sheet? What do you think tonight? Blah, blah, blah. So when we got there, myself and Steve McManaman were commentating. And we'd all worked out in our own minds what could happen. So we all agreed on the fact that Liverpool needed to score first. They probably needed to go in 1-0 at half-time and stop Barca scoring. Then second half, if they're attacking the Kop and they're on a bit of a roll, they get the next goal and Barca might go. And we we thought that because we'd seen them go before, they'd gone against Roma away the year before, similar circumstances. So we all kind of knew what might happen, but none of us were brave enough to go, it will. So when Origi scores earlier, I remember shouting, there's one back in the commentary, because that was kind of, here we go. And it just became this snowball rolling down a hill. And Barca had a bit of a spell midway in the first half where they needed to score and they didn't and the second half was as exhilarating an experience in a football ground for me as a commentator as I think I'll ever experience because it's a special ground, I mean a lot of the grounds in Europe are special but I would always say to someone if if you ever get the opportunity go and experience Anfield on a big European night because there's, there's something different there, there's a feeling in there and I think that transmits itself to the players. And you started to feel it and you thought hang on a minute Barcelona now I've got it all on to stay in and, and it just rolled and, rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and then they scored and I had one of the fortunate moments as a commentator where you're just saying the right thing at the right time and I, they got a they got a corner and Trent Alexander-Arnold won the corner and I remember saying in the commentary I was just making the point that he was such a mature footballer for his age as he's knocking the short corner into Divock Origi and I I couldn't have been talking about anything else more appropriate at that time because we'd seen his maturity to win the corner and then he took that to a completely different level to put the ball into Origi quickly while Barca were getting themselves ready in the middle and that was that and we just kind of stood there in shock I mean Steve doesn't really get too carried away because he's He's won two Champions League, so seeing a 4-0 for Liverpool against (laughs) Barca, he's beat that anyway. So he kind of takes it in stride, he's really laid back. But I was just like, wow, mouth open, can somebody close me me jaw? And it was like, what do we do now? So we did the game and we got to the hotel at Manchester Airport. And you've got to have a drink because he was like, can't get to bed yet after that. So... Were you wired? Were you sitting? Yeah, totally wired. Totally wired. So I've got in bed, can't sleep, but I think I've got to get some sleep so I've got to go to Amsterdam tomorrow. So I get up the next day and we go to Amsterdam, Spurs one down from the first leg. So there was a couple of really nice articles about the BT Sport coverage in a couple of the broadsheets the following day because they kind of looked at what we'd done the night before and really liked it. And we were fortunate, again, because we got the right result. I worked with a great team of people there and... It was great to see them get a lot of credit for a fantastic night but I was in the hotel reading some of these articles and everybody was like all right brilliant 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 they suddenly hit me what if spurs just get blown out tonight what are we going to do so my wife called and she said what do you think about tonight I went I said probably gonna have to keep everybody's spirits up aren't we? because tonight can't possibly match last night so I'm with Jermaine Jermaine Gina so I'm working with tonight and we we sit in the commentary box in the Amsterdam Arena, and the atmosphere in there is electric. And everywhere you go in Amsterdam, at the, the, the Ajax Stadium, there are huge pictures of all the greats that they've had. And I mean, you you, you can't count them all. I mean, of there's course, so yeah. many footballers. So everywhere you look, there's a legend. And in the crowd that night, there were quite a few of them. Um, anyway, we start doing the game, and Spurs aren't they're all right, but they're, they're not. You can't see a way in for them, and of course they go behind and they can see another one, and you're thinking, curtains. So we get to half-time, and Jermaine and myself are pretty fed up. And I think the crux of the conversation was, look, let's try and keep it up for everybody in the second half, because we can't get demoralized by this. Yeah, yeah, fine, fine, fine. So then they started playing Don't Worry About a Thing by Bob Marley. So at this stage, everybody in Amsterdam thinks they're off to the Champions League final. <laughs> so they panned to a shot of Patrick Kluivert Absolutely singing his heart out. <laughs> He's got no care in the world. The two up, 3-0 aggregate, Spurs are finished, we're off. And they all and they must have sang this song for 15 minutes into the second half. The whole crowd just sang it. They, they turned the music off, the game started, and they all just sang it. And it, it was a celebration song for them. Now, I don't know whether that transmitted itself through to the Ajax players and they thought, yeah, we're there. But the minute Mora scores, you think, well, hang on. And then it just started to turn. And when it went to 3-2 on aggregate, 2-2 on the night, you're thinking, now then. Because Inanna made a really good save to stop the initial effort and then really good feet from Mora and they score. People forget then, because you only kind of think about the big picture. They had some fantastic chances, Ajax, to score again. Hit the post, didn't Hit they? Hit the oh, made two or it's... three saves. And then there was a chance. Oh, and I remember, going back to the, I mentioned the Bob Marley song. So I remember saying this, you can't, when you're a commentator, you kind of blurt things out from time to time and hope you don't sound foolish or he comes back to haunt you. So I remember saying he went to 3-2. I remember saying to JJ at the time on the, on the game, I said, listen, I said, they were singing Don't Worry About a Thing at half time. I said, they've got plenty to worry <laughs> about now. And it was 3-2, so off we go. So anyway, about really close to the end. They had a glorious chance to win it. Lloris makes the save and I remember saying on the, uh, on the commentary at that time that just about keeps Spurs in the Champions League and it did, I mean a goal at that stage of a finish. Then Spurs attack, cross comes over and Vertonghen heads one against the bar. The old commentator cliche is always they'll get a chance, so you're thinking that's the chance, gone. So then this, this situation unfolds where it goes from front to back almost in slow motion. And I didn't know this till Christmas. Somebody actually sent me a picture of this this picture that's hanging on his brother's kitchen wall, and it's a uh, an image of Lucas Moura that's been drawn. And my commentary of the goal is underneath it, which uh, that's not me, that, That's that's anybody else. That's Brian Moore and John Mottson. Uh, that's not me, guys. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking, oh, that's pretty good, this So <laughs> this this goal happens in slow motion, and you're thinking, wow. And it was kind of the last kick of the game. It turned out not to be, but it was to all intents and purposes. And then this goal goes in, crowd goes mad, the Tottenham fans up there. And Mora goes off, he's off. And I've said me piece, and I'm thinking, where's JJ? You've got to come in now, and I looked, and he's gone. He's completely gone. <laughs> Obviously he's Tottenham started off at Forest, he's a Nottingham lad like I am, but he's clearly turned to Tottenham, 100% now, he's gone. <laughs> Couldn't speak, just this croaky voice, And he'd had it, so I thought I've got to explain to everybody why he's not speaking. So I said he's in tears next to me, and blah blah blah. Off we go, and then we, we 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 get to full time, and they've won it. And and I actually couldn't believe, and still can't to this day, that it was even more dramatic on the Wednesday than it was on the Tuesday, and it was just so special. I'm I'm so lucky to do the job that I do anyway, and to be fortunate enough to be in those two stadiums on those two nights. England winning the World Cup. I don't think there's anything else that could top it. for, Because I don't think we really believe it now. I mean, the fact that you sit down and go, right, first question is this. And... I don't think we can kind of take it in now, what we saw. It's, it's,
0: there's too much to it, isn't it? And there's so yeah. much to unpack as well, because there's all... There's, yeah. I mean, the, the the sort of minutiae of it all, all the, all the little things that you kind of you sort of think back, and we didn't even mention, like, Jermaine, you know, saying something's happening here.
1: Yes. You know, and the fact yes. that he sort of, like... And the fact that Rio th- Ferdinand nearly gave Glenn Hoddle another heart attack. Yeah. The, <laughs> and I remember that night, we sat there, and it, it, it's one of the most... I, I, I One of the most special things... Um, is that I get to work with my heroes, so people that I, and they say never meet your heroes, well that's not the case in, in, in my job because they're such fantastic guys, and my favourite player when I was a kid was Glenn Hoddle, I was a Forest fan but Glenn Hoddle was the dogs, Glenn, Glen. <laughs> Glenn, um, I don't really swear in front of Glenn, it's almost like yeah, Glenn in front yeah, of yeah, your like, mum is like, Yeah, that's Glenn Hoddle, yeah. <laughs> it's Glenn Hoddle I swear in front of him, so <laughs> Glenn had gone through what he'd gone through during the season. He'd had his massive heart attack and we thought we'd lost him. And it was a real terrible situation for him and us, you know, because he means so much to us. So to see him, see his team reach a Champions League final like that in a year where he'd been through the biggest trauma that he's ever been through in his life was amazing. And I remember that night we sat there in the hotel, which was walking distance from the arena. And we sat, myself, Jermaine, Glenn, and a few of the team, and we sat and had pizza and beer. And Glenn just said to us, he said, I'm just glad I was here to see it. And that kind of put it all into perspective, and we all kind of went, yeah. And at that stage, it was just it was just perfect. And he, it, it was, yeah, it was special. I, I get goosebumps now thinking about it. And... Uh, it's it's mad. I'm just glad I didn't say the wrong thing. I mean, you you sit there and think, imagine if you'd have blurted the wrong <laughs> thing out. or you, it, it, I always say to people, because you, you're about to make mistakes, you, you say tens of thousands of names every year, you're going to get one wrong every now and again. I often think if I'd have said the wrong thing at that time, probably would have resigned the next day <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> sit back and enjoying it. But no, it was, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
0: You're not, I suppose there's no way of preparing for a situation like that. No. So you're not armed with anything, really, considering that was a Hail Mary pass from Sissoko, really. He hoofed it into the air. And you don't really know what's going to happen in that two seconds. So what are you trying to do (laughs) when it just goes absolutely crazy
1: like that? I genuinely don't know. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I don't know. I always think it's one of the most amazing things ever when when Clive Tilsley just came out with and Solskjaer has won it. To do that there was astonishing. I don't think I've got that in, in my locker. <laughs> all I was concerned about was, well, I don't know, was not swearing, I think. I don't know. Like, I, 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 I don't know. People say situations like that all slows down for you. Well, it didn't slow down for me. It got faster. <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking, just don't balls this up. You know, whatever you do, just, just, and it was just a case of getting through it. But I'm getting through it at a time when my co-com's in tears next to me. So it's not quite as straightforward as normal. So I, I don't know. I, I just, I just, said what came into my mind and hope, hoped the right thing came in and I think that I would tell you straight away that if I was commentating on that goal in a vacuum I would do it a lot better than I did but at that time that's what I felt it's what I thought my voice level was where I was emotionally and I've always been a big believer that um, you've got to be yourself you can't prepare what you're going to say yeah you can prepare your stats and you can prepare your, your narrative or whatever but when the big moments come you've got to try and go with it and and you're going to get some right, you're going to get some wrong, you're going to do some that you really like and you want to play back again and some that you think, I wish I could have done that better. But at that moment it was just a case of, it was a big release for everyone and I think there was a release for me as well as a commentator and you just kind of go with it and just keep your fingers crossed it sounds okay. And to be honest, the the most amazing experience was the following day when Rory Smith, one of the football writers, we were on the way to the airport, and he put a tweet up to say they should just pipe the goal through the air conditioning system at Schiffle Airport, because whatever room you go in, you just hear the goal being played on phones and iPads at various stages. <laughs> and I walked into the airport, and everywhere we went, you could hear my voice on, on everybody's phone. All the Tottenham fans were there. And I was in the queue to get on the plane, and they're all playing it at different levels of this queue. And it was mad. It was bonkers. It's like, it couldn't get away from it. It did me head in. I was like, <laughs> turn that bloody goal off, will you? Shut up, pack it in. But it was like mad. It was like, wow. Yeah, this is this is unreal. This is something I'm never going to experience again. Do you think it's quite important when
0: you're in those moments to make sure... I, I know you said about the like, tone and pitch and yeah. things change all the time. For me, listening, that made it all the more special. Do you think it's important to, to kind of go with the atmosphere in the stadium? Yeah. I,
1: I can't help it. I... I I get such a kick and a buzz out of what I do that I'm quite an excitable fella anyway. But When I see drama or goals or whatever, that, that is me, I'm, I'm like a fan again and some people might not like that, some people might like the more measured approach, a bit more thought and consideration and lower it all a little bit. I can't do that, I, I'm not built that way so I, when a situation like that comes I just get an explosion of emotion and passion and excitement. and I can't stop it, so I, I have to commentate like that. That's me, um, and I think if I tried to do it any other way, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to keep it in anyway.
0: It must have been strange doing that particular Liverpool game, and knowing they were going to go to the final again. Yeah. Off the back of what you'd experienced the year before. Yeah. Because that was probably about as lo- well not low because they got to the final, but the, the, the Liverpool fans were the straw, and yeah. the players were clearly
1: like absolutely crestfallen after that. I so think you could feel you could feel it building though, and. Had you
0: done the Napoli game this yes. year when Alisson had made that say? Yes,
1: when Milik, Milik has the shot late, you think, dodged a bullet, dodged a big bullet. Um, yeah, so I, I'd done that game. And that, that was special, but because it was early in the competition, it wasn't quite what it gets to. It's a spring night, yeah. it's a sunny night, it's a noisy night, they're all there. They know they're getting near the big prize. But I, I think with them, you, you got the feeling the night they lost to Real Madrid, it may well be back next year, and there's something building here because this is a team that's really starting to come together. So it was, it was, uh, it was good to see them do it. I, th- I think, I think football is is better when the big sides are doing well. I think we all like to say, oh, you know, why, why can't the underdogs do that? But everything tells you: TV figures, radio figures, newspaper circulation, everything, everything goes through the roof when it's big sides. We all want to see the superstars. We all want to see. The big teams play the big teams in in the big situations, and when they're doing well in Europe, and Manchester United do well in Europe, and Real Madrid do well in Europe, and all the it, it's a better competition. So you'd had
0: in that previous season, you'd had two of probably the best goals that we've ever seen in Champions League history, in the Ronaldo yes. bicycle kick and the Bell one in the final, and you were on comps for both. I was, yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'll look at my. By the way,
0: that, uh, I just this. Is I'll what, do your lottery for you. When we, I was gonna say <laughs> when we put oh, oh, together yeah. the research for this, I was going through.
1: and I was like, yeah, you're literally just ticking
0: like these massive moments, I know. and 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 not just that because you, you, you've done Champions League final, Champions League final, Champions League. How many have you done in yes, now? I've four I've or on. five. Uh, four. And you've had good five. There's always been. Well, I've had either points. Real
1: Madrid or Liverpool in every one of them. So Real won the first three. We did Real against Atletico, was the first one in Milan. And was then that when Costa was injured? That was when...
0: he played eight minutes or whatever. No, I think the... that was
1: two years before, was that before when, right? they won on, when they went to extra time. Right. This went to penalties. Yeah. Carrasco came off the bench. Ramos scored, Carrasco came off the bench and it went to penalties and Ronaldo scored the winner. The following year, they played Juventus in Cardiff. Yeah, Mandzukic. Manzoukic Mandzukic scored a worldie, which nobody ever talks about. Doesn't one of the best man- goals <laughs> I've
0: seen. Never touched the floor. It's one of the best
1: unimportant goals, isn't it? This just means absolutely yeah. nothing. And then the following year they, they play Liverpool. Mm. But the Ronaldo one for me was... was it, <laughs> I don't know to this sounds stupid, but when Bale scored it, we'd already seen it because Ronaldo had scored yeah, yeah, yeah. it. So you kind of thought, oh, a kick, brilliant. But, <laughs> but, but Ronaldo... The thing that did me with that one was when he, when he scored it, it was the reaction in Turin. Because everybody just stood up and applauded. And the commentary position in Turin is in amongst the crowd. A lot of the stadiums, you're out the way. But there, there's this box, and all around it are the supporters. So literally, we're on the end here. So there's a guy sat there watching the game a metre away. So you can feel it there. Um, and it's, a, it's an English-type stadium, the one in Turin. So it's very atmospheric, and everybody's near the pitch. It's quite steep. So he scores the goal in there and it's just like a wow moment it was just wow you know I mean that that might be the best goal I've ever seen certainly the best goal I've ever commentated on so that was that was mad but it was made more special by the way the Juventus supporters reacted to him and I'm certain that that had a big impact on him signing for them when he when he left Madrid and then the one in the final was just bonkers again I mean it's just it's just crazy I mean it's he could do it 50 times and he'd probably miss 49 of them. I, th- I like think you even said on the comments it wasn't even a particularly good cross. No, neither cross were. Crosses behind him. Neither were. And if you think back to the Ronaldo one, he had to run back towards the edge of the penalty area and go back again. Yeah. Bale was in a better position than Ronaldo for his. I think that's what separates the two, that Ronaldo was going that way to bicycle gig it that way. Um, but at the time, everything he touched turned to gold. I mean, he was just... He was on a different planet. I mean, we we were we we've been in the Bernabeu on a, a lot of occasions, and he's just lit the place up. It's just astonishing. And I, I think sometimes you're very fortunate to see a great goal. You're unbelievably lucky if you see a great goal scored by a great player because they're the when you when you when you sit with the grandkids in twenty years time and they're watching the, the old stuff. They're seeing an all-time great score an all-time great goal. And you're the fortunate person that's got his voice all over it, good or bad. So to see the great players score the great goals is, is even better. A great goal is a great goal, but a great goal scored by a great player, now that's different. Um, so you do these huge these games,
0: at any point do you stop getting nervous b- before you're going through? Or are you, do, have you never been nervous? Yeah, I'm, not, some... not,
1: I'm not really nervous. I'm not really nervous. I'm quite an introspective person. People don't. People probably wouldn't, wouldn't say that, but, but people close to me know that I am I'm a thinker, and I get a buzz rather than the nervous. I get, I get I get a bit of adrenaline. Simply because I feel so privileged to do what I do, that I'm probably frightened to death that somebody's going to take it off me. So I, I, they're the, they're the proven moments. They're the times when you can you can show people that you can actually do the job and they're the moments that you want to be remembered for when you finish. Um, You just want people to say, you know, I enjoyed the games when you did it. You don't want too much. You just want people to say, you know what, you were all right when you were on. You were all right. You don't get any more than that. It's not with social media. (laughs) As long as somebody says you were all right, you don't spoil it for me. You'll you'll take that and you'll class that as like a massive pat on the back. But I don't don't get... um, I don't get nervous, no, but I tend to think about people close to me. Sounds crazy, really. But I'll sit at the Champions League final, and I always think about my granddad, who's not with us anymore. And my granddad was the person that always used to take me to the football matches. And when I started commentating on local radio, covering Nottingham Forest, he never missed a match. He'd be sat there with his radio and all this. And he he died before we started doing the Champions League, and he would have been so proud to see his grandson do a Champions League final. So it's... Think about him a lot, but I really sit and think about him for about 15 minutes before a Champions League final, and I almost sit there and do it for him. And j- you sort of almost speak to yourself
0: more than yeah. worrying about external stuff. It's yeah, well, I, think,
1: I think all commentators do. I don't think you ever. I, I when I'm sat there, I'm, I'm kind of in a conversation with my co-commentator about the game. And I, I don't. I think if you ever stop to think, people might be listening, <laughs> and and thinking you a crap. In the, <laughs> I don't think I think you'd walk out. I don't in, think you In do the it. millions. Yeah, I well. don't think you would do it. I think you'd be <laughs> off. I don't think my ticket could take that. But no, so I, I, I get a bit introspective on big occasions. And in terms of like your your
0: beginning, do you think yeah. like that passion for football is is just a, a driving force or was there a particular reason that you wanted to go go into commentary?
1: No, I I never really wanted to go into commentary. I kind of fell in it. I, I've always been a football fan and from the minute I could walk, I was kicking a football around and playing football and having football kits bought for me birthday and Christmas, and any match I could get my eyes on, I wanted to watch on the telly, read about football. I've been obsessed with it from from when I can remember, and it's never changed. But when I finished, when I was at school, I always thought I'd quite like to do something with sport, but I think our, our school system, our education system here, a lot of people are told they can't, and I was always told, well, you can't do that. Can't do that. I'm like, what about doing this? Well, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. Yeah, but you won't be able to do that. You can't do that. It's not for you, that. Well, all right. What shall I do then? We'll do that. Well, all right. So you'd leave the careers meeting thinking, well, that went well, didn't it? But So I, I, I left school. I was doing my A levels and I had enough. I didn't want to go to school anymore. So I broke it to my parents and I was packing in. They were furious. So I went and got a job as a yard labourer at a place called Sheriff Plant Hire. And they kind of, rented out cherry pickers and stuff. So I was like working there for 50 quid in me pocket and stuff. It was mad, really. Um, then I ended up putting up suspended ceilings. So one of the lads and said, well, we do suspended ceilings. Why don't you come and do that? So I was 80 quid a week and he was in Sheffield. I live in Nottingham. So he used to go to Sheffield every day and put these suspended ceilings up. Now, I don't know if you ever carried one of these things. They're quite big and heavy. They're about this big and... Plasterboard and got to lug them upstairs and all that. I'm not built for this. So I went there for a for a bit, and I did that. And my stepdad is was an accountant, and he knew a guy that owned a gym. And the guy that owned the gym, the sports editor of the local radio station, trained there. So he got a PR company. His name was Tony De La hunty and he he actually commentated from inside the stadium on the day of the Bradford fire. Wow! And he was he was. I mean, talk about you know you kind of say. When that goal goes in how do you keep your head and all that he sat in that on the, the opposite side in the in the, the ground that day and he, he carried on doing his work because he thought that people might be listening on radios and he could help them get out so he he was what a person to learn from because he he'd been in that situation and he'd 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 helped he kept his call cool, he'd done his job he'd been a public service and he'd helped so anyway he got a, a public a PR company and he, there was an event called the Sun Life Great Race and it was a running race from Glasgow to London over three weeks That was done pretty much like the Tour de France right. So the leader wore a yellow vest and they ran in teams and all this only ever happened once So he needed a runner not a runner for the race, but a runner to go and do all this fetching and carrying So somehow I get put forward for it knowing I can go back on the ceilings when I've done this three weeker So I think he paid me 300 quid hundred pound a week, which is better than I was getting on the ceilings so I went, and all I did was he'd, he'd type copy out, and I'd dictate it to news desks or whatever. So this particular day, I'm dictating the copy. I'm ringing up to dictate the copy. And they're, oh, just, just stand by, stand by. Okay, go in live. I'm live on the on the radio now. So I'm a builder. I'm not a broadcaster. I'm a builder. So the ceiling man, he's now doing a report on the Sun Life Great Race. And he said to me, whatever you do, don't go on air. You'll... you'll Cost us the entire job. And I'm like, well, I was there. I couldn't <laughs> not go on. So, done this piece. And he went, Have you just been on the air? I thought, oh, finished now. He's going to send me home. I went, Yeah, I'm so sorry. He went, No, no, no. He said, oh, I was quite good. It's quite good. It's quite good. Did OK. Did OK. Don't go on again. He did OK. <laughs> so, the three weeks are up. And he said, I'll come in on Monday morning. And uh, I went in on Monday morning thinking I was going to get my cheque for 300 quid and back on the ceilings on the Tuesday. And he offered me a job. He said, I'll give you a job. He said, I'll pay you three grand a year. And he said, You'll do every job that nobody else wants to do. But if you're prepared to listen and learn, I'll invest in you and I'll teach you everything I know. And this was in Nottingham, a radio station called Radio Trent. That's not not even it's there now, but it's called something else. And he said to me one day, "Like, right, go to the city ground and go and get me an interview. So I said, Well, who with? He went, Whoever you like, just go and get an interview. Forrester played Manchester United this weekend, and we did an interview, and you're doing it. So I said, okay. So I wrote myself some questions down and off I go. Walked into the stadium, into the office, and there's a lady working in there called Carol, who was Brian Clough's secretary. So I'm thinking, I may as well ask to speak to him. So I said, oh, I've come to do an interview with Brian Clough. So she said, have you? (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah. So she went, right. And where are you from? So I went, Radio Trent, thinking that that was how you did it, you know. So she went, well, I'll go and ask him then. So off she goes. She said, yeah, he said he'll see you. So sit in the corridor, so I must have sat there for three hours, no sign of him. Think, Is this a wind up? Anyway, I get in, sit down, get me questions out, put them on the table, and it was it was in the days of the real to the reel viewers. Tell how long ago it was. <laughs> I'm older than a look. So I got me questions, so I, 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 I'd look at the first one and he reaches across, screws them up, chucks them on the floor. Go on then.
0: Oh my! Word. I have not
1: done an interview in my life. So I'm now sat naked as an interviewer with Brian Clough. He's got a couple of the coaching staff in there as well. And he literally ripped me apart. I mean, he did some good bits, but he literally ripped me apart. Ripped me apart. And I, they'd not been playing great at the time. And I said to him, you've made a bit of a mediocre start to the season. Which, I mean, just don't say. I mean, he wouldn't say at the first. You <laughs> just don't do it. Do and he kind of said, mediocre. He said, you're not talking about this interview, are you? And he just with me. I, I was sweating, shaking. I was in a right state. Anyway, I, I did it. And I went back and I got it. And they managed to edit it to a point where it was usable. But I didn't realise at the time, nobody got interviews with Brian Clough. So I was like the toast of the town. I'd gone down there and got Cluffy, So it stood me in really good stead. But I remember thinking at the time, it, it can't get any worse than this, can it? I mean, I was ringing wet when I got out there. So, so frightened. But that's where I started. And I listened to everything he'd got to tell me. And eventually they let me do some commentary. Um And I found that I really enjoyed it. And again, I was lucky because it was a decent club that people cared about. I mean, they were were a first division side and then a a Premier League team for a season. But there was always a story there and Stuart Pearce was there and Cluffy was there and and all these people were there. Roy Keane was there when I first started doing it. So there was always a lot of interest, so it helped. But even now, I mean, I'm 48 now and I've I've been doing the job since 1990 and I still sit there now and think, what are you doing here? I mean, just what are you doing here? This is this is what other people do. This is not you. And I think, but I think in a way that's always been good for me because it keeps me hungry because I still think I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and they're going to say, no, nah, you're not good enough. Still think it. And I think I'll think my entire career, I think I'll think that way. It's imp-
0: absolute imposter syndrome. The, yeah. Like, well, yeah. Like, how
1: yeah. have I found myself in this bubble? Exactly.
0: But I think at the same time, like you said, that's quite a. Healthy approach to have because it means that you'll never take it for granted when you do these huge games. Listen, I'd love to change it. I'd love less stress. I, <laughs> I can't.
1: I can't. That's just the way I'm built. I must be a natural-born whittler. I can't. I, that's just. That's just me. So when did you make the move then to go in and work at uh, Five Love? So that was 2004. So I'd been and done the Capital Radio bought the radio group I was working for, and Jonathan Pierce, who's doing Match of the Day now, was hugely supportive. Hugely supportive. And um, one of the key people on my journey that. He believed in me and he could see that I got half a chance and he was prepared to give me opportunities. And I remember we went to Portugal and we covered the European Championships, Rooney's first tournament, England should have won it really. We covered the tournament for Capital Radio, so we did all the commentary while we were there, myself and Tony Gale. And at that point there was a commentary job at Five Live, which was mentioned to me while I was there. So I actually applied for the job whilst being at the Euros. And I ended up being given the job, there were two jobs available, two Sports Extra commentary jobs available. And I got one and Alistair Bruce Ball got the other. So we kind of joined at the same time. And um, we were only supposed to be commentating on Sports Extra, that's what it was. But we, we both did a, a bit better than that and got pushed on. But 04 was, was, was when I went in. And that was like another, oh, blind. I mean, this is it's Mike Kingdom and Alan Green, and John Murray, and wow, it's Five Live. And you listened to it for years. You know, you, the old Radio 2 days with Brian Butler and Peter Jones. This was again, it was like, what are you doing on here, you fool? Well, how have you managed this? It's like sneaking into a nightclub when you're not supposed to be there. I'm sitting there thinking, i work with these fellas now, and they don't realise how bad I am. They're not wearing me out yet. But it's so it like, another one was like, blindly you know, it's like, that was great. It, it was, and that, that was when I really started to learn about how to be a commentator. And I've been really fortunate in my career that I've always met different people who are super talented, who want to help. So it was Tony to start with. Jonathan was 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 great. I worked at MUTV for a period of time with a guy called Paul Ridley who was astonishing in terms of editorial knowledge and work ethic and all that. But when I went to the to Five Live, Jonathan Wall, who went on to be the controller, was the senior producer. And Jonathan pulled me one day and he went, This commentary. I went, Yeah? He went, I think it could be a bit better, you know. So I, 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 I thought, I knew the day was coming. <laughs> so I went, okay. He went, yeah. He said, uh, just don't think you're being yourself. He said, I think you're trying too hard. And I think, he said, but I'll help you. Did you feel that was fair at the time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, listen, I, I've never been someone that think Bleh. I'm not like that. I, I've, always, I've always accepted advice and help. Because even now, I, every game, I do a midweek match, I get home and I watch it before I go to sleep. So if Do I get back at 1 in the morning, immediately? i watch the whole 90 minutes before I go to bed. Did that not torture you a little? No, because it's fresh in my mind. I know why I've said it. Right. So if I watch it back the next day, I've lost the circumstance. I've lost the moment. When I get back, I know. So things I've done well or things I've done badly, I'll, 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 I'll watch everything. But he said to me, I can help you. Now, if I'd have said, no, I'm all right, thanks, that would have been the fork in the road. I'd gone down the wrong one. But I said, that'd be great. That'd be brilliant. And Jonathan helped me. And he'd, he'd, he'd kind of critiqued the commentaries. And then he went on to be the controller so all of a sudden i've got someone that's been instrumental in my career with all that knowledge that's helped make me better and then he's running the radio station so you know that you've got someone that trusts you that 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 has helped you that helped make you really so that was brilliant and and i've just been lucky all the way that last last year i'll tell you this so last year um Clive Tills always been a commentator that I've really enjoyed. Clive, Clive's my kind of commentator. I don't like wordy commentators. I don't like. I don't like. What the word is, really? I don't like massive words and stuff. I don't like all that. I don't like clever. I think I, I want the fella on the television or the radio to be like the guy stood next to me at the, at the game. So I, that's what I like. And it's each to their own. I mean, there's some excellent commentators. With a with a wonderful vocabulary that I could never think about having, but I prefer the ones like Clive and and I don't mean that Clive hasn't got the vocabulary, he has, but he just sounds like my kind of commentator. I'm thinking myself a hole here. So Clive would be one. Uh, Steve Wilson's another one that I like a lot. John Murray and Dennis here. They're, they're Brian Moore was my favourite growing up. I like Motty more than Barry Davis because Motty was more me than Barry. So that's kind of how it was. So last year, I was thinking, how do you get better? So you're doing all these big games and you've got to keep improving because somebody's going to want your job. You've got to keep getting better. You've got to work. You've got to keep doing it. So I reached out to Clive and I said, look, I said, strange one. I got his number from from somebody else. He didn't know me. Um, We'd never spoken really. Hello. That was it. But I, I messaged him. I said, look, I said, strange one. I said, but would you have any time to mentor me a little bit because I want to get better at this? And luckily again, he said, yeah, sure. I'll watch some of the games and then we'll talk. So he watched a few of the games and then he sent me a list as long as my arm that I could get better. So I said, brilliant. So we had a long conversation on the phone and we started to work our way through this list and th- all the points were really valid and they all came from the right place. And it's it's made me a better commentator. It's got me another mate. You know, we're, we're good pals now. And he, he helped me lots lot. And I, I think... You're, if you don't do things like that, you're stupid. If you think you've made it, you're stupid. You, you've got to, you've got to keep getting better. The, the last commentary I, I'll ever do, I'll still think I can improve, and, and I, I can. So, people like him have, have been huge. Can you remember off the bat one of the things that he said to you? Yeah, he, he said to me, that, um, he said to me that when the teams come out, because th- th- when the teams walk out, it's all kind of timed really, because you've got team walkouts, you've got the handshakes, you've got the team boards. The close-ups, the referee, the wide shot, the kickoff. He said, "You're trying to cram too much in. It's too messy, too much. Get rid of a load. Quiet it all down. Quiet, make it quiet. Get control. You control it. You control that rather than that controlling you." And I thought he's right. I'm letting the time control me. I'm trying to fit everything I've in. Got 12 I'm, seconds. In right? It. Can I squeeze that well, in? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm doing 12 seconds. I've got 12 seconds. He said, "Do seven, and save the other five for when the game kicks off. You've got 90 minutes to get it all in. Relax." So he he got me backing off to a large extent, um, and but he he was complimentary about some things too. You know, he he do this well, you do that well. Do more of that because that's really good. Less of that, cause that's not very good. So, but it, it, it was it, a lot of it was 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 controlling the situation. So he said, imagine you're you're a footballer, and you're trying to manage the game. As a commentator, you have got to manage the game as well. So you've got, to, you've got to pick the right flow and tempo for that. And he was right. And when you. When you watch it back now, if you watch games back before I spoke to him, to now, it's really different, and I noticed it more than anybody else.
0: But I suppose, given that you're watching it so quickly after, you must be critiquing that in a way that no one else is, really. Like because you're going into the, a lot of people after a game finishes, they're looking at highlights, the big moments. You're probably looking at the minutiae. Yeah, I might go into the. I might brush over
1: most of the game. But there'll be four or five incidents that I'll play back and play back and play back and play back and think what what could you have said there or could you have done that a bit different and I whenever I watch a football match because I think we're really lucky at the minute we've got so many good commentators Uh, we're, we're blessed you know you think about Martin and you think about Bill at Sky you think about Peter Drury Ian Dark with us you think about Clive I mean, still Jonathan, and you think about Wednesday. the BBC guys: Jonathan, Steve, Guy, uh, Simon, Brotherton. I mean, these are these are top operators. I mean, all of them. You you could give any one of them the World Cup final, and you would get a brilliant performance. So you look at it now, and you think: whenever you watch a football match, you're learning. So I think: well, how did Simon call that goal, or how did Steve call that. Oh, I like how he did that, and you might nick a little bit. There might just be a little pause that Guy gives. Or Martin. And you think, oh, I'll try and use that. And you'll have that in your mind when you do another game. Do you use the same sort of model
0: and the same amount of feedback to yourself when you had done other sports? Because you did the boxing, right? You've done Yeah, uh, I did the boxing,
1: yeah. I did London 2012 with Buncee. But there was no time to listen back to that because it was so intense. Yeah. Um, So not really with that. And I did Carl Froch's world title fight against Lucien Bute too, which I did listen back to because I did that before the Olympics. Um... But no, not really. No, no, football's the one because that's, that's, that's my job. The other things are, uh, the other sports are opportunities that I get and I like it and I, I put all the effort in. But I know that I'm not going to become a commentator of that sport, so I've got to master the one that, that I'm doing. I, I, took a, I took a decision that I used to present the programme on Saturday mornings on BT as well. And I've always been a big believer that you can be good at one thing be really good at one thing but it's difficult if you want to be really good at two things because you can kind of become okay at that and okay at that so I took a decision that I wanted to, to be a commentator and I was going to be a commentator that's what I'd always done, the presentation was nice but I wanted to be the, 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 the lead commentator at BT and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that and I think by doing it and just concentrating on that then you can really start to sharpen what you do I think if you try and do too much, you.
0: And did that suit you that yeah. in that time? You're like, okay, this feels right. Yeah. To, yeah. to go down. Yeah, yeah it did, it was, and it,
1: I also felt at the time when the change was made that I'd been doing the television commentary long enough, to be comfortable with it. When I, when I, the first three or four seasons, that's a long, that's a long time. I thought, I don't understand how you do this TV commentary. I can do a radio commentary. And I thought, I, I just don't really get what I'm supposed to be doing. Then all of a sudden, it kind of falls into place. I'm quite a slow learner. When I get it, I can improve it, but it takes me a while. So it took me a while. But then I, the minute I, I, I felt I'd got the rhythm and I understood what, what was involved, then I could start enjoying it. Before that, I was dreading it, thinking I just don't want to mess this up today because I thought I, I still don't really know what I'm doing. But when I when I... Started watching it back and thinking it actually sounds like a TV commentary now, not a radio commentary on the telly. And the social media abuse had died down to a <laughs> manageable level. <laughs> and I'd stopped ruining everybody's Saturday dinner. <laughs> at that point, I was I, "They're not abusing me now, so I must, must be getting better." So I'll keep it like this for a bit. At that, that stage, I started enjoying it, and it, it was at that time when I thought, "Right now, let's let's concentrate on doing this." Um, and that, that's what I did.
0: So I've got to let you go, but I just want to ask you. One more question before we finish up. How have things changed from when you started your career to now? And I mean, like, the two things immediately kind of jump out. Yeah. In that, the first thing you mentioned already social, social media. media, yeah. yeah. In that, you will, if you, whether you have a good one or an absolute stinker, yeah. you know about it immediately if you allow
1: yourself. I've got over 100,000 bosses on my social media account. Do you, do you listen I to them? I answer to all of them clearly. <laughs> clearly. No, because I know. As, as I no, think, somebody listen, this, thinks about it. I'll be honest it. with you. If I've made a mistake for the floor. If I've made a mistake, <laughs> I don't need telling. I'm honest. I put my hand up and said, Could have done that better. I don't need I don't need a rollicking. I don't need a what happened there? I know I've done it because I'm watching it. I've watched it more than you have. So I've gone back home and I've watched it a million times. Well, not literally, but I've probably watched it 50 times. Enough that it's burned into yeah, your. Yeah, so I don't need yardage. somebody then saying you did that very well. No, I didn't actually. But <laughs> half past one this morning, I was sat watching it in the house. What were you doing? Sleeping, <laughs> you know. So, and when you go on there, look, it's it's strange because we all like a bit of praise, and if you want praise, you've got to take a bit of criticism. So everybody's opinion on this valid. You get the idiots who just want to give you a bit of stick, hoping that they get a, a message back, so they get a few followers. If you worry about them, you'd never go to sleep. I've got the thickest skin of anybody I know, so you're never going to hurt me on there. It doesn't matter. I'm not bothered because I know already. But look, we all like someone to say, enjoy the game today, or good call there, or thanks for that, it's nice. But likewise, if you want that, you've got to be prepared that somebody's going to say, "Your crap, he's better than you. Why are you doing that game? It should be him. That's what they feel because everybody has the preference. So the, the biggest difference is that we've got... People, you answer directly to people now. When I first started commentating, you'd do a game and you'd never see anyone, they couldn't get to you. You might get the odd letter into the radio station <laughs> that could be bothered to write it, but nobody really cared. And then when you see people anyway, they're not gonna abuse you anyway, are they? So you'd, they'll, they'll just say nice things, even if they're the one that's giving you stick. The biggest thing is social media, Ahem. but that's not a problem. Uh... One of the ones I wanted to ask you is, and I know it's
0: boring, actually there's two really quick things. One, VAR, and two, the <laughs> idea of people saying, like, oh, you are more biased towards a certain team.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll take the bias one first. We're not. We're just not. And I, the guys that I work with, colleagues I have within the other commentators, yes, we all support a football team. Mine happens to be in the Championship, so I never commentate on them anyway. So whatever bias I have is not to anybody in the Premier League or the Champions League, and that's what I'm commentating on. So... You can kind of stick a line through that anyway, Um, but we're not. What we are is we are prepared to praise excellent moments and we're prepared to criticise bad moments. So so we're honest, we're level. I put my timeline, I've finished a commentary before and I've been accused of both sets of supporters of being biased. So, honestly, you're biased towards them. You're biased towards them. Well, I can't be biased to both them. what is it? So, at that stage, I'm thinking, well, I'm probably not that am I, really? So, you, every football fan, if you say something negative about their team or their team loses, you're part of the opposition. So, that's just part of it. Um, do you
0: know what? Let's, I'm not going to make you do VAR.
1: Oh, no, I, I will do VAR. I will do VAR. I'll do VAR sure? quickly. Look, okay. I think goal line technology is what we needed. I don't think they know how to use VAR in the Premier League. We had a meeting with them in, in the summer. And i told them so i said i don't think you've thought this through in the champions league you don't know it's there until they use it in the premier league they're gonna to prove to you that it's there whether you like it or not i don't think they've thought it through um i don't think it's being used in the premier league properly in the champions league i like it it's it's been instrumental in sorting out some messes but they don't tend to get bogged down with the minutiae of offside and the odd brush on the hand in a goal. They just tend to let it go because that's kind of what needs to happen. I'm a big believer that it can work. I don't like it. I I don't know why they bother. As I say, goal line was enough. I think it can work, but I think if it's gonna work, they've got to rewrite some of the laws. I don't think the offside law works per se with a VAR strap. It it doesn't. It's just too fine, too tight. The handball law as they've written it now doesn't work for VAR. It's it's not black and white. They've made it black and white. So. I think they've got to re jig a few things the way they look at it. Um, I don't like it. I don't think I think it's been an unmitigated disaster. I don't this think year. you're the only one. No don't disaster. One. Um, but look, we're stuck with it, so we've just got to kind of understand it and
0: Thankfully Liverpool have gone so far ahead of everyone else, yeah. it's not gonna be dominated by the like VAR. Thank you so much, Thanks. Mate.
1: Thanks. Thank you.